Welcome to the Mindful Drinking Movement podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Betancourt, former wino, former drunk lady, professional hypnotherapist and life coach, here to remind you and help you find that own understanding in your own life about how great it is to live without relying on alcohol, to have your feelings be manipulated for you, to hide feelings that you don't want to feel, to look to alcohol as a source of entertainment or fun, because we are capable of doing all of those things ourselves. Whether or not alcohol is present, my mission is to help you find a life that you love, create a life that you love, a lifestyle that you love, that doesn't center or focus around alcohol. It's incredibly liberating and fun. And welcome to my Thanksgiving special. Um, Before I get started, this is a story, by the way. This is not um, really an informational podcast. I'm going to tell you a tale, a cautionary tale, about my tofurkey Thanksgiving. But first, I would just like to mention that I'm running an event inside my Facebook group. You can find that Facebook group. It's also called the Mindful Drinking Movement. If you're not already in there, come um, request to join and I'll add you. And I'm going to be hosting an event there. It's called Grateful AF grateful as fuck, grateful, alcohol-free three days. It's going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm going to guide you and coach you and support you through having three alcohol-free days in a row. And if you have not even had one and it's been years since you've had a day off of drinking, you're welcome too, even if you just get one. So this isn't a contest. It's not a challenge. It's an invitation to come try on having 72 hours of your life alcohol-free and what that does for you and what you can learn about yourself and what you can learn from it. I'm going to be your guide, your host. Um, So it's happening inside of the Facebook group. Come join me, please. I would love to have you. Okay, so this is my Tofurky Thanksgiving, a cautionary tale by me, Jessica Bettencourt. When I was 26, I worked in a bar, no surprise there, and not to name names, but it was called the Frog and Peach Pub in San Luis Obispo, slow as it's known. And bar culture in slow is ubiquitous. And it was really, um, it was like being, and I'll say it was like being in the mob kind of, like you had your own family, you had your own organization, your networking, which were all the people who worked within the bars because all these bars were interrelated. A lot of them were owned by the same people. Um, So it was kind of like being a family. Like I really loved some aspects of it, but what I didn't love was how um, permission giving and enabling it was to just get wasted all the time. So I drank every time I was at work, I drank mm, for sure. (laughs) For sure. And so um, that was the downturn that was the dark ugly there was this really dark underbelly side to it too as you can imagine or you probably have your own experience of working in hospitality bars and or restaurants there's so many pros and cons right like you think that you love it the money's great and you're all about it it's so exciting and you have friends and then there's this aspect where it just really breeds addiction and it's um, a terrible and toxic environment at the same time so all of that mixed into this bag and here's where I find myself Um, When I was in college, actually, let's be honest, when I was in junior college at 26, and I was working at this bar, and it was Thanksgiving time, um, and I was also a vegan at this time, so I was very healthy with my diet and my exercise, like super diligent, and I also drank every single night, 
which was usually me drinking at work or at home. If I wasn't working, I would drink at home, wine on the couch for sure. And even though my company stressed not getting drunk at work, they certainly didn't fire you for doing shots with customers and encouraging a big party vibe seven days a week. And it was generally, generally frowned upon if you came into work visibly having already drank. That was a big no-no. But So Thanksgiving in a college town generally means that everybody clears out and there's really only food and beverage, the food and beverage people, the hospitality industry folks who are left. People who do Friendsgiving together and whatnot. And people typically want that day off. The hospitality um, workers typically want that day off as well because it's just so damn slow. Well, I, being a bit of a peon, um, was scheduled with the task of working on Thanksgiving. And I could have said no, and I could have gone home, and I could have pled my case that I didn't want or need to work that holiday. Um, but I just, it was assigned to me, and I just took it. I didn't speak up for myself. I was not very good at that at that time. But if it was a slow night, I was told that I could close. I was told if no one came into the bar for an hour that I could close the bar, thus saving everyone money, and I could just go home. And I thought, okay, well, surely it's going to be dead, so I'll just be in and out, no problem. So meanwhile, my fellow vegan roommate was planning a vegan Friendsgiving at our apartment, which sounded really good, actually, because I was someone who was so out and about all the time. Didn't go home for that particular holiday. I didn't go home for many holidays at this time in my life. I just stayed and got drunk, honestly. Um, and I was really in desperate need of some peace and safe domestic events. It sounded really good just to be at a Friendsgiving at my house. So it was fine. I was going to go to work for an hour, and I was just going to come home and eat and drink and put on sweats like a good American. And so a foreshadow to this story, normally when I went to work, I got all dolled up and I looked like I was auditioning for something. So Thanksgiving Day, my roommate and I, not to mention names, but let's call her Vanessa, we went to the organic grocery store to spend a bunch of money on vegan fare and fancy wines because we were healthy girls, girls who worked out and did cocaine and drank all the time. And Vanessa had it in her mind that we needed to get a tofurkey. I think she'd heard great things. So we got wines and fruits and nuts and vegan cheeses and a pecan vegan pie and apple pie and this tofurkey thing, which was incredibly heavy. It was like mercury. Like you picked it up out of the cooler section. It was like you needed two people to lift it. It was abnormally heavy for the size of it. So if you're not familiar, a tofurkey is like a loaf of tofu. Like if you took tofu in a big rectangle and then you filled it with some stuffing and some veggies, and then you rolled it from one side, like a pinwheel sandwich from one side to the other, and then you slather that with what's supposed to be gravy, made from, I don't know what the gravy is made from. So we bought one of those things. It was like 40 or $50 at the time, which is when I was 26 and 42, so that was like, that was expensive. <laughs> so we got it, we brought it home, and apparently you have to let this thing thaw for like three hours before you put it in the oven. And it also has to be in the oven for some hours. And so it was frozen hard as a rock and people were coming over and so we didn't have time to thaw it. So we just cranked up the oven and stuck it in there. And so, um, <laughs> this is to give you like the full on turkey experience. It was like a placebo turkey. Like you had to thaw it and cook it for hours. I don't know. Okay. So we put it in the oven. We opened some wine. We just started drinking and eating. 
and like waiting for this thing to be finished. And we put a meat, th it had it had a meat thermometer in it that was gonna pop out when it was done, like full on turkey effect. So finally it came out of the oven. There were people over there who were gonna consume this thing with us. And we went to slice it after it stopped steaming. And it sounded like, like rubber, like a right, like a knife sawing through rubber and a slab of it like popped off and bounced onto a plate. And I was so full actually, but I made myself eat some, or maybe Vanessa made me eat some. And I shouldn't have because it tasted like nothing. It was so rubbery and chewy and it was like hurting my jaw to masticate this thing. And I had to go get dressed for work. But I ate some of this tofurkey, like probably a, a slab of it, a plate of it. And I needed to be at work at 7. It was about 6.30. And it would take me 15 minutes to walk there because I was not going to drive because I had already drank probably more than half a bottle of wine and who knows what else. And I could not get any of my already very tight pants on. Like my belly was in full distension mode. So I zipped up some of my friendliest urban outfits bitter like boyfriend cut jeans those were like my loosest pants and I put a big flannel on over the top to drape down over the zipper so you couldn't see that I couldn't button my pants and I waddled my way to work and I opened the bar and I felt like puking like I was so nauseated and full I probably should have made myself throw up but I just can't stand the taste of vomit so I just set everything up like kind of half-assed just like really expecting to get out of there and I watched the clock in the door and just hoping that not a soul would set foot in there. It's like 7.30, so it was looking pretty hopeful. And then I got my mind set around calling a cab to get me home, and I was just like fantasizing, just like letting it all hang out on the couch, maybe going to bed, take a bong rip and go to bed. 7.45, like 7.50, it was like 10 minutes I was going to be free, so I just started putting everything away, that I could put the stools up, put all the garnishes away, I was getting ready to get the F out of there. And out of thin air, I heard them before I saw them. They came barreling in the door. There was like 20 burly drunk dudes, bros, just all wasted. And they were like falling and hugging each other and laughing. And not a comprehensible sentence out of one of them. And they ordered pitchers and pitchers of beer. And they demanded that I turn the music up really loud. And they put the Bloodhound Gang on the jukebox. And they started like screaming the lyrics to a lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying. And I felt like crying. I felt like I had died and gone to hell. Like I, this was my life. <laughs> and there was no way that they were leaving. There was no way that I could get them to leave. And so there was no way that I was leaving either. And so as the horrible adage goes, if you can't beat them, if you can't get them out of your bar, become more inebriated so that you fall into oblivion and call for backup. So I called Vanessa brought the blow, and other girlfriends who would come add some estrogen to the fray. And I think at one point, I was singing The Gambler on this small acoustic stage in there, and I drank about a pitcher of Blue Moon beer on top of the tofurkey, and my pants split down from the top. The zipper at the base of the zipper became separated, so now my pants were flayed out, and I was wearing this hot flannel and became so hot in the bar my face turned red like a thermometer and I caught a glimpse of my face in the mirror and I had full-on alcohol like whiskey rash all over my face like I looked like I had a red beard on both of my cheeks and my neck like if you saw me you would say should we call 
someone <laughs> should we call an ambulance? Do you need like a histamine shot? So unattractive, so awful. And then my bosses came in and I don't remember if I was behind the bar at that point. Oh, I just remember feeling so sick, unable to stop. Like, I don't think, how could there have been even a gram of space inside my body for more things to fit in? But they kept going up my nose and in my mouth. And I was just like burst, like bursting like that blueberry lady on Willy Wonka. And I kept that bar open until 2 a.m. And when I woke up the next day, I had the most horrible toe-furky gas pain. Painful. Like I thought I was having like an appendicitis. And yet, as soon as that wore off, I went back downtown and I drank again. And so what did we learn from this story? My beautiful toe-furky Thanksgiving. So a few things that I can note, seeing myself at that time in retrospect and now as a mindful drinker these days, I see one, not having a strong support system outside of my ride or die friends, who are wonderful people, but who are also on the party train, compelled me to believe in myself that I was emotionally alone much of the time. And this feeling of loneliness, especially around the holidays, even when you are surrounded by people, it is a driving force to go to bars, to get drunk, to become an insatiable void, trying to get feelings from ingesting, trying to emotionally find your way to some place of comfort, even though that end game is not even possible. But when we have that notion in our minds of like, this will be the drink, one more drink going to make me feel better. One more cigarette, one more piece of pie, just one more. That one more mentality keeps us going into many more and many more, which ultimately leads to many more episodes, many more years even. That mentality, that belief that more is better. More is better, and at the other side of this next one, there's the feeling that I'm looking for. So what I really wanted to feel was companionship, intimacy, connection, community, and when you're in a drinking world, like bartenders, waiters, servers, hospitality people are immersed in it, it is really hard to find the intimacy and the connection and the comfort that you're hoping for and wanting outside of that place because you're so constantly in it. So hospitality people this season on Thanksgiving, I see you and I hear you and I love you and I respect you. And... So what did it, what else was my next point? Oh, and two, tofurkey is not a real food. I think they took it off the market. I haven't seen a tofurkey on the shelves in years, and please let it be that way. Oh my God. And three, my life, kind of similar to one, but had been designed and constructed around drinking, drinking activities, and other people who drink. And so if I didn't drink or I didn't want to, that would kind of mean like an identity crisis, which our mind tries to avoid at all costs. So I wish I had known then what I know now, like that Rod Stewart song, that our identities are flexible and can be deliberately changed. Instead of feeling like change is happening to you, we can positively affect change and create identity shifts for ourselves which actually feel really empowering and really good because when we change the way that we view and perceive ourselves, our behavior follows suit. It's not the other way around. 
It's not doing something hoping to be a way. You must first see yourself this way, see yourself as someone who can stop, see yourself as someone who can take entire days off drinking, see yourself as someone who enjoys drinking less or not drinking. You have to see yourself that way first. You have to believe that that is possible and paint a picture of your self-image, your self-identity, your self-concept in this way. And then your behavior follows along in that vein of thinking. Ah, yeah, yeah. Questions? Just kidding. <laughs> so if I had thought of myself in terms of more self-worth at that time, I would not have been working on a holiday that I really wanted to take off. I would have spoken up for myself. I would have said no to things that made me uncomfortable or things that I didn't really want to do, places I didn't want to go, people I didn't want to hang out with. And I would have found ways to change my mind and program my unhelpful thinking that drugs and alcohol equal fun, or that drugs and alcohol and hanging out in those environments are the way that we get company, they're the way that we find dates, they're the way that we're accepted, that we belong to a community. There are so many alternatives. It's really a matter of broadening the scope of your thinking. Um, and I wish that I had known this at that time. It would have saved me a lot of suffering. So imagine that you can see yourself as you are now from a future you's perspective. So go like five to 10 years into the future. And when you look back at yourself, at present day you, what do you see? And what do you want to tell this version of yourself? What do you wish that you had known then? That has been my Tofurky Thanksgiving A Cautionary Tale episode. Thank you for being here. Um, I really love serving this community. I feel like it's just growing. Everywhere I look, I'm getting uh, you know, alcohol-free beverage ads. I feel inspired to open an alcohol-free bar. <laughs> so many things, so many possibilities. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, if you're curious, I am at present accepting private clients still, and my rates will probably be going up in January. Actually, they will be going up in January, so you can lock in my current prices um, at this time through the end of the year, till the end of 2023. And if you're curious about what my six-week program, The Mindful Drinking Method, looks like, what it entails, what sort of transformation you can expect, how you'll be able to completely redesign your subconscious thinking and programming around alcohol and what that actually does for you in reality is so fun and exciting. I will put a link um, to that description of my program in the show notes here. It's called the Mindful Drinking Method. And thank you so much for being here. I wish you a very happy, healthy Thanksgiving. <laughs>